we want to look this morning at revival that began to break out under Jonah and what happened there in Jonah's life. But not only in Jonah's life, what happened in the lives of the people who were around him and, and what God did. God wanted to move in Jonah's life and as he moved in the heart of Jonah, as Jonah got right, he began to move in the hearts of those that he wanted to redeem. We have a concept today that revival is when a bunch of people who don't go to church all of a sudden are introduced to the gospel and they get their lives right and they start going to church. That's not revival. That is awakening. Revival is something that takes place in the hearts of people who know God and know Christ and God stirs them and gets them right so that their witness becomes what he has always intended. And through their witness, our witness being right, God brings an awakening to people who've never even known him. And so this morning, we're going to look at some principles of revival uh, that, that Jonah outlines for us that, that God wants to be present in our lives as we seek to be the people that he's called us to be. If you have your Bibles open there to the book of Jonah, the first chapter, if you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And then turn just a page over to chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be overthrown. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. There's a couple of things that God wants us to understand about revival. And he does want to revive this nation. God would wish that we would again be a nation under him. We're going to be a nation under him whether we like it or not. And, and so he wants to speak to us to, to, to challenge us with some principles, some principles of God that are always true, that were true in the Old Testament. Uh, they were true in Jesus' day, and they're true in our day today. The first thing that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is the cause of of revival. What is the cause? What brings about revival? If you look in Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now I want to challenge you this morning because I, I believe that the world thinks that we think they're the problem, okay? That we think that they're the issue, okay? The world believes that you and I, the people who are sitting inside this building, thinks that they are the issue. I'm telling you, they are not the issue. The wickedness of Nineveh was the problem. However, the issue was the disobedience of Jonah. You see, it's not the world that God wants to set right. It's his people. And the issue of the cause of revival that took place in Nineveh was Jonah's heart. Jonah was disobedient to the will of God. 
He was disobedient to the task of God. He was disobedient to the call of God. He was disobedient to the word of God. And Jonah was so disobedient that he believed the circumstances of his life were working to prove that it was okay for him to be disobedient to the word of God and the call of God and the purpose of God in his life to the point that he even was disobedient to the love of God, not only for himself, but for other people. How do you say that? Well, first of all, the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah heard God speak to his heart. And Jonah's word was, get up and go to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? Jonah got up and went the other way. He was disobedient to the will of God. He was disobedient to the word of God. The Bible says the word of the Lord, this wasn't just some casual suggestion. This wasn't just, well, if you wish or if you would like or if you feel like it. God was speaking just like he's spoken to us in his written word. This is the Bible. This is the holy word of God. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is perfect for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that you and I, the men and women of God, may be thoroughly equipped and built up for every good work that God has for us to do okay it is it is holy and true okay Jonah rebelled against the will of God he rebelled against the word of God Jonah also rebelled against the call of God on his life he had forgotten that he was a servant of the most high God he had forgotten what it was like to be called of God to serve he had forgotten his purpose in life you and I today have forgotten the fact that you and I aren't called to gather together and to enjoy worship. That, that is, that's one of the things we should do. We ought to get together as often as we could and enjoy worship. But folks, this is not the end of what the Christian life is supposed to be. We're not called to be in here in a great big holy huddle loving on each other and ignoring the world. Okay? We're called to be out making a difference, and Jonah had forgotten the call of God upon his life. In fact, he had so forgotten the call of God upon his life that he believed that God was orchestrating his circumstances, allowing him to be disobedient. How do I know that? Well, he took off. God said, go to Nineveh. He said, I'm going to Tarshish. So he goes to Joppa, and guess what? He found a boat headed where he wanted to go. He had the money in his pocket to pay the fare. Surely, God must be in this. Folks, I'm telling you today, there's some of us that are walking around with a false sense of security, believing that even though we've been disobedient and been outside the will of God and done things our way, things seem to have worked out okay and that we're thinking God said it's all right. It's not all right. God is using the circumstances of providence to set us up for whatever he wants to do, and sometimes that's a great humbling. That's what's fixing to happen to Jonah. Just because there was a boat headed where he wanted to go and he had the money, and he was so comfortable in his disobedience, what's the Bible say? He went into the belly of the ship, and he went to sleep. He was such a deep sleep, so much at peace, that the storm didn't even wake him. Guys, I'm telling you, there's a storm coming. And God is trying to shake his church awake. But some of us have so forgotten the priorities of God and so forgotten what God wants to do that we can even sleep in our false sense of security. Why? Because Jonah had rebelled against the love of God. You see, Jonah had forgotten that God loved him. And because God loved him, it meant God loved other people. God loved Nineveh. God loved the Assyrians. Do you know who the Assyrians are? The Assyrians are the forefathers of a group that we know today as Al-Qaeda which are the forefathers and forerunners of a group that we know today as ISIS. God loves people, period. And the world's sitting out there looking at us thinking we think God hates them. You see, Jonah not only hated the sin, he hated the sinner. And his 
actions communicate that. His hatred for the Assyrians, because the Assyrians had been used to discipline Nineveh, I mean to discipline Israel in the past. And God so hate, or Jonah so hated them that he let his hatred for them color his theology. You and I have got to begin to understand that as much as Nineveh, the world needs our message, we need Nineveh. As much as Nineveh needs us, we need Nineveh. Because it's our obedience to what God wants us to do, to what He has called us to do, to what He has placed upon our heart to do. It is our obedience that moves God's heart to touch other people. That's it. The cause. You want the cause of a revival? Take a mirror. Ladies, if you've got a mirror in your purse, take it out. You don't have to do this, okay? I'm just saying figuratively. Guys, get up, go in the bathroom, and look in the mirror. You want the cause of revival? It's us. Will we be obedient to the things that God wants to do? The second thing this passage teaches us is not only are we the cause of revival. It's what God does. When one man gets his heart right, what happens is the second part of this is the response. Look at Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Hear me, please, today. No one here has ever been obedient all the time to everything that God says. None of us. But the beautiful thing about the grace of God is the word of the Lord comes again. It may be your second time. It may be your third time. It may be your fourth time. It may be your fifth time. If you're still here and you're still breathing, God's grace still exists. Okay? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And the word of the Lord this time to Jonah was the same thing. This is what it says. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Jonah's obedience. The obedience on Jonah's part made it possible for everybody else to respond. Look at verse 4. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the, in, in the city and proclaimed in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, the men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Notice what happens. Notice where it starts. And I believe this with all of my heart. Revival starts in the hearts of men. And ladies, I'm not ignoring you, Okay. All right, and God can move and speak through you and to you just as much as he ever speaks to any man. But I'm telling you, God wants men to begin to lead this nation the way that he's called them to lead. And we've been sitting back on our duffs, guys, too long and letting women lead and do all the work in our churches. Okay, that we've let them staff the Sunday schools. We've let them staff the children's programs. We've let them staff all the stuff. And we've sat back on our blessed assurance, for lack of a better word, and ignored our responsibilities. And God is willing to move this nation, and the church is weak because its men will not stand up and be the men of God they've been called to be. You can clap. The men responded. The men did what they were supposed to do. And the Bible says that they proclaimed a fast. That means that they put their hand 
over their mouth. And they intentionally put on, took off their, their everyday clothes and put on the clothes of fasting so that people would understand what was taking place in their lives. The response was people began to respond. And what did they respond to? They responded to God. Notice what it says. It doesn't say the people believed Jonah. It says the people believed in God. We forget it's about him. It's not about the man. It's not about the message. It's about who we are supposed to be lifting up and proclaiming. And the people, the men, and the whole city began to believe in who God is. Cairo, Egypt is a city of over 17 million people. If you can imagine the amount of garbage that is generated from a city that size every single day. And there's a place just outside of Cairo that's called Garbage City. And literally the people, there's over a thousand uh, homes that are represented there. And, and these men and women staff the, the, the refuse collection. And what they do is they go out every day. There's over a thousand them. Go out all over the city of Cairo. And they grab all of the city's trash. And they bring it back to Garbage City. You can imagine the smell and the stench that exists in Garbage City. But here's the deal. Those families are some of the most impoverished in Egypt. They are happy to have the jobs that they have. And they live in Garbage City. And so what they do is they go out and collect the garbage from 17 million Egyptians plus in Cairo. Bring it back. Go through it. Find the things that are still usable, take those home as part of their salary to their homes, and then just pile up the rest of it. 1972, an Egyptian, young Egyptian successful businessman lost, and you think about the date and the time, he lost his watch that was valued at over $11,000 in 1972. And what people were surprised about is that one of the gentlemen who literally dressed in rags that worked in Garbage City found the watch in the garbage. And he took the watch. It was a big deal in Egypt. You lose, I've lost my watch. I'm paying a reward. If somebody finds my watch, he took the watch back to the owner of, of the watch. This successful young businessman refused his reward, handed him the watch, and says, My Jesus tells me to be honest until my death. Everybody was amazed. I mean, that, that was six times his annual salary. And so this young businessman is so moved by the actions of this man who works literally and lives in Garbage City that he says, because you worship Jesus, I'm going to worship Jesus. And he takes the Bible and he starts studying the Bible. In 1978, he and his wife give up their business and they move into Garbage City. And he begins to uh, minister to some of the city's most impoverished people and start the church. And today, in Cairo, Egypt, in a cave just outside of Garbage City, where the stench of the filth of the city still blows and still moves, 10,000 Egyptian Christians will gather together in Cairo, Egypt, in Father Saman's church, the largest evangelical evangelical Christian church in the Middle East because one man one man chose to have a heart for Christ you and I have been called to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and our response it was Jonah's response the word of the Lord came to Jonah again get up same message go preach the message I will give you Jonah got up his obedience his response was the beginning of awakening his response was the beginning of revival our response is the beginning 
of an awakening that God wants to bring to thousands of people and hundreds of thousands of people who do not know who He is. Their being saved, their being evangelized is, is, is connected to our response. And the reality is we need to begin to understand there are people around us today that don't know Christ. And they are acting like people who don't know Christ. And our response so often is to write them off or to speak about them or, or, or to, to pray about them. And what the Word of God tells us that we need to begin to do is to pray for them and speak to them and not write them off as somebody that God has forgotten. God loves them just like He loves you and just like He loves me and just like He loves the little children. God loves people. And what people need to know is a relationship to the God of the ages who has created them and shaped them and molded them and sent His one and only, only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, they need the church to start being the church. They need us to begin to stand up and speak with them and and to them. We are equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants us to do. Not, not to write them off or to ignore them or, or, or just to, to act like they don't exist. But we need to begin to go and to speak to people about who Christ is because the reality is it's the extent of the revival. We see what God really wants to do in the hearts of people. And you see that as you begin to read in verses 6. Start there with me. Read with me. When the, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from the throne and took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By the order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish then God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways so God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them and he did not do it guys this is not about First Baptist Church of Eastland we have a great Bible believing Bible preaching mission sending Christ-worshiping church, but it's not about us. It is about God's heart for the people. Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah. September 23rd, 1857. There was a young 48-year-old man named Jeremiah Lanfear. He was a layman in New York City. New York City was a city of about a million people in this day and time. And it would just come out of, we had just come as a nation, out of what is known as the Second Great Awakening. It hadn't lasted very long in our country. The First Great Awakening literally lasted for almost 50 years. The Second Great Awakening has lasted roughly about 20 years. And Charles Finney, one of the great preachers of the Second Great Awakening, has made the statement that America's prosperity makes it too hard for God to even move. They're trusting in their money and not in God. But a revival was going on across the border just north in Canada. And there was a young man who was a member, a layman, who was a member of a church, a Dutch Reformed church on Fulton Street in New York City. And he was appointed by his church as a non-paid city missionary. 
to reach the people in New York City and get them into the doors of the church. And so Jeremiah Lanfear decided the only thing he knew how to do was pray. And so he made up a handbill and had a flyer and began to hand it down the street, put it up on, on windows and doors and, and invite people on, at, at noon on September 23rd, 1857 to come to the Fulton Street Church, Dutch Reformed Church, and just begin to pray for revival. He was jealous for what was taking place in Canada. He wanted that in his city, and his nation. And so he handed out all these handbills, and he opens the door at noon on September 23rd for prayer. And you know how many people showed up? Just him. He's it. And so he begins to pray. And about 12.30, he hears the footsteps of another man who saw one of the handbills. And he shows up, and the two of them meet, and they pray for their city. And they pray for revival. And they're so stirred by the presence of God that they decide, hey, we're going to start doing this every day at lunch. And so every day at lunch, these two men begin to gather and to pray at the Fulton's Dutch Reformed Church on Fulton Street in New York City. And then there's ten. And then there's 20. And on October 14th, about two and a half weeks later, the stock market crashed in 1857. And on that day, there were a hundred businessmen and bankers and lawyers and doctors and nurses and people who were gathering to pray. Two months later, by November, they've had to open up the whole part of the church. They're not just filling the sanctuary, but they're filling the whole church. And the Bible, the, the Bible, the papers of that day tell us that in six months, they estimate there are over 10,000 people all across New York. Businesses are shutting down. Banks are shutting down. People are gathering together in churches of all denominations to pray. And a prayer revival, nobody's preaching. Nobody's saying anything. People are just meeting together to pray for revival and to pray for their neighbors and to pray for their families and a revival begins to sweep across our country. By 1958, one, eight, 19, 1858, one million people have been baptized and added to the roles of the churches all across America. They estimate the papers, full-page ads are running about what God is doing across our country. 10,000 people a week are coming to faith. Why? Because one man, one man said, I will pray. Jonah responded. And the Bible says all the people, even down to the animals, were to show their repentance at the message of Jonah. And I want to tell you something. The Ninevites were saved. Okay? This, this isn't just, oh, they got emotional and they repented for a little bit. Okay, I'm telling you, God changed their hearts. How do we know God changed their hearts? Two ways. Number one, the Bible says God didn't discipline them. He didn't punish them. He didn't destroy them. Their heart change was so genuine, God, the Bible says, relented. The other way we know this 
is in the Gospel of Matthew. You don't have to turn there. I want to read it to you. The Gospel of Matthew, the 12th chapter, verse 38 following. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Verse 41, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at Jonah's proclamation and look, something greater than Jonah is here. See, a judgment. Those Ninevites who heard the message of Jonah, they're going to stand up and testify against people who should have had a relationship to Jesus Christ or people who knew who Jesus was but ignored his place and his presence in their life. They're going to stand up and say, look, we repented at Jonah's preaching and you ignored the Messiah? God calls us to repentance. Do you know God loves you? Do you know God wants you? He wants people in this world. People who ignore Him and spit on Him. Do you know the atheists, the agnostics? The Hindus, the Buddhists, the Islam, uh, Islamists, you name it. Satanists, God loves them. And He wants them. And He wants them not just to know some facts about Him or to believe that Jesus exists, but He wants them to enter into a relationship that is life-changing and life-transforming, heart-altering and mind-renewing so that they might be renewed in the center of who they are. He wants them to enter into a relationship that changes their priorities in their homes, that changes their priorities in their business, that changes their priorities when they go to, to ball games, or it changes their priorities when they're, they're out interacting with friends it changes every single thing about them do you understand today that God of the ages wants to revive this nation but the only way that God of the ages can revive this nation is if he will purify his church and he will cleanse our witness and he will begin to stir our dead bones and he will begin to restore us and lead us to the point where you and I are no longer worried about what anybody else thinks but where we stand in a relationship to the God of the ages to the God of heaven and that we get on our faces and we confess There's two sermons that I wish I had. I wish I knew what Ezekiel preached to dry bones in the Valley of Dry Bones. I wish I, wish I had the outline. I really do. Because there's some times where it feels like I'm preaching to dry bones. Especially at 8.30. I know I shouldn't have said that. I wish I had Jonah's message. I wish I knew because I promise you his message was more than 40 days and then it was going to be overthrown. We don't have the outlines of what Ezekiel preached or what Jonah preached. You know why I know we don't have those outlines? 
Because I believe that if we had those outlines, we would think that somehow there's some magical formula, some magical incantation that we could just throw out there and preach and say, okay, God, now perform. Okay, God, we've said it. we followed the formula. Now, God, move. I'm telling you, there is a formula for revival that is recorded in that book. And here it is. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray and get on their face before me and turn from their wickedness, then will I hear from heaven. God is calling His church to confess. Will we confess our sins? Will we be obedient? Will we be restored? Will we be stirred? It is about you and I beginning to be the people of God as we have been called to do and to preach and to share and to live. And when the church begins to be the church, God says, I will stir this nation the way that I want to stir it. That's His call. That's His heart. That's what He wants to do. This morning I was reading and I was in Haggai and Zechariah and I was reading about the early temple and Israel's come back into the promised land. They are there and they're, they're back in and, and uh, God has is, is, is led them to restore the temple. And, and the Bible says that there's some of them and maybe they were like three or four or five or six or ten. They were little when they went into captivity, they remember the glory of Solomon's temple and they come back and they knew how big it was and how wide and how tall and how deep and they see the foundation of the new temple and the Bible says that some of the Israelites are praising God. Look what God has done and those people who had seen the former glory of the temple are, are crying, they're weeping, they're mourning because they realize the greatness of what is today is not as great as what it used to be. And I was reading that and it was like the Lord just spoke to my heart. He said, do you understand? That's where my church is today. We remember a time that was. We remember how great it used to be or how glorious it used to be or we remember what the preaching used to be like or what the music used to be like or what the attendance used to be. We remember a time that was and we come and we see and we lament. God, it'll never be that way again. But I want to tell you today, I believe the God of the ages is not done with His church. And I believe He's saying to us exactly what He said to them. Shh, hush. Because I'm going to fill this temple with my glory and I'm going to shake the nations. One man. One woman. Who will choose to respond and be obedient and be reformed that others might be restored. God wants so much for you today. So much more than you could ever ask or imagine. For some of you this morning, I, I pray that you are as uncomfortable as all get out. I, I have prayed for this morning and I pray for every Sunday that we gather that God would begin to shake us to the core of who we are and get us uncomfortable with where we are. And there are some of us here this morning 
Man, the honest truth is we just need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Settle it. There are some of us here this morning who need to be restored to be the people of God that God has called us to be, to be life changers, breathing life into people, praying for them and speaking with them, not about them and not writing them off. Hate the sin, yes, but we have got to begin to love the sinner because God loves us. And there's some of you, man, you just need to get involved. This is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, God-worshiping, Christ-centered, mission-sending church. And this is where God wants you to be. How will we respond?